Hi, everyone. Welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, back from my two-week hiatus. I'll be your host from now on during Mondays throughout the Saints and Pelicans season. Glad to be a part of this program once again and glad to be back for another season with the Saints and the Pelicans. Hope this Monday finds you well. Um, the, the podcast format does not change. We'll have still great conversations on both the Saints and Pelican side, and today is no different as we'll talk with John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com. Kind of recap, put a bow on Saints-Jaguars from Thursday night. I know there's been a few days in between, but wanted to get JD's thoughts on the game. And then, of course, the Pelicans' schedule was released on Friday, as uh, we'll break down that from a national perspective on the national television games, the back-to-backs, tons of things to talk about. So it is nice to talk about Pelicans when it comes to August 13th. So sit back, relax, enjoy the program. It's John DeShazer, it's Jim Eichenhofer, and it's yours right now. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. And joining me now is John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com, fresh off of Monday's practice and training camp as the Saints get ready for preseason game number two on Friday against the Arizona Cardinals. First off, J.D., thanks for holding down the fort for me while I was gone. I really appreciate it. Well, I mean, the cheer isn't quite the same without you being in it, but, you know, we do what we can. I appreciate it, my friend. Let's talk about that game before we move on to Friday against the Cardinals. I want to talk about Thursday's win over the Jags. Just give me your initial impressions on the game. I know... A lot of people talked about the defense just from that first drive standpoint. I thought it was a little unfair just based on who was out there for the Saints. And, of course, you're not really going to run a ton of stuff when you're playing the preseason. But overall, how about your thoughts on that win over the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, winning is a whole lot better than losing. So (laughs) in a perfect world for the coaches, you get the win and you get a lot of teaching points. So they had a perfect world out of that now. If you don't have Cam Jordan starting at left defensive end, and if you don't have Alex Okafor or Marcus Davenport at right defensive end, and you're being pretty vanilla defensively, then that's a recipe for not looking great on defense. And yet, even the Saints defenders, uh, there were some opportunities to get off the field on third down or to get a stop and force a field goal, and they didn't do that. So that that will disappoint them some because, you know, even in the preseason, and if you're missing a part or two, you want to be able to function a little bit more efficiently than that. But otherwise, I mean, I think there were some, some high points and some low points, which is what you expect to see out of a preseason opener. I thought, um, you know, I thought the, the young guys on the defensive line in the second half really dominated Jacksonville's reserves. And that's what you like to see. I mean, I don't care who you lined up against. Uh, if it's twos against twos or threes against threes, you want your threes to win. And I would say in the second half, the Saints sec- twos and threes – uh, really carried the day in that game. Is that what you're primarily looking for in these games as far as just individual players? Because like you said, the defense is going to be pretty vanilla. You're not going to show much on offense either. You're not playing your main guys as much anyways. Are you just looking for different guys at different positions to see how they react to them being on the field, no matter who is on the field for the other team? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, it's a series of individual battles. Collectively, yes, you want to win the game. But as a player, uh, you can't think about winning the game if you can't win your battle if you can't beat that guy in front of you and so you know those are the areas you really look at you see you know you you want to see the offensive line obviously function well as a whole but you want to see individuals be able to hold uh, their defender at bay and so I think that's what you have to you, you concentrate on as much as anything because 
you know, sometimes you don't get the fairest evaluation and assessment of a player. Say, for instance, a quarterback is under heavy rush and he's throwing inaccurate. Well, how much of that is him being inaccurate and how much of that is him being rushed hard and on the move because his left guard or his right guard can't, you know, can't block sufficiently. So a lot of those things are the things that you look at uh, as a coach, I believe. You know, you evaluate the the entirety of it, but you also have to break down each and every individual to find out who was doing what he was supposed to be doing on a particular play. Is that why these training camp days are more important probably sometimes in the games just because you are, you know, you're you're controlling what's happening number 1, but you are getting to see certain guys against your your other guys on your own team but is that why this is so important during these times in between games to see what guys are capable of yeah because one you want to see what they're capable of and two you want to see what the learning curve is uh the mistakes that you made in the preseason game did you correct them uh, if you didn't correct them out here on the practice field well how can they trust you in a game if you did, if you weren't able to make that adjustment and that and that correction and, and make that improvement so you know, that's where you earn the trust of the coaching staff. They're not going to continue to put you out there uh, at left tackle if you keep getting the quarterback, you know, put to the hazard. They're not going to be able to keep putting you out there at cornerback if you keep giving up big plays. I mean, you know, one of the, the cuts this week uh, waived was cornerback Devontae Harris. And I think a lot of that had to do with the repeat errors that we've seen Devontae Harris commit over the course of a couple of seasons worth of games. And at some point, you know, he can practice as well as you can possibly practice. And we saw, we've seen Devontae Harris have some fantastic practices, but it's got to carry over to the field. And that's where the learning curve was hitting a snag. He wasn't transferring it from the practice field to the game situations. And so at some point, you, you if you're the Saints, you got to say, okay, he looks great in practice, but what good is that doing us? Because we're not getting it out of him in the games. Now you got to find a guy that you believe you can get it out of in games. Let's go to some of the the position battles or guys that are trying to earn a spot on this team. And it's we're talking about a QB battle when, of course, you have number nine under center. But there is, I think, a battle for the backup quarterback position between Tom Savage and Taysom Hill. Both of those guys did play some time in the win against Jacksonville. Did anyone stick out to you more than anything as far as even individually? What did you see from those two guys? Well, I think Taysom Hill had the flashier numbers, eight of nine passing. And he ran for 50-plus yards a, a game high, and he had a touchdown. And so, you know, you, you notice the the all-around play of his, and you say, okay, he had some fantastic numbers. And he was playing behind an offensive line that didn't block as as well as Tom Savage's. Meanwhile, Tom Savage did lead two scoring drives. Uh, he was fairly efficient pass, and he missed some some passes that he should that he should have hit on. But he was playing behind the number one offensive line, and I thought they gave him a nice pocket to throw from. So from that standpoint, you know, you you say, okay, how do you count? You know, how do you account for that? Because Taysom Hill was under heavy fire and still completed eight of nine, uh, so it looked pretty good for Taysom Hill. And yet, Tom Savage has the experience in that. Uh, he's probably going to give you right now a better read through his progressions. Uh, he's probably going to be a little bit more cool and confident in the pocket because Taysom Hill hasn't played in a couple of years in a real game. Now he played in some preseason games last year for Green Bay. Not playing the preseason opener for the Saints, but under game-like situations, he hadn't been in the real game probably since BYU. So, you know, is he going to be able to hold his poise and, and maintain his poise? And we know Tom Savage started seven, uh, started seven of eight games that he played last year for the Texans, so he might be a little bit more uh, better equipped to do that. That battle, to me, is still pretty much wide open. Now, Taysom Hill gives you 
a roster spot. He's going to, I think, Taysom Hill, I believe, is a lock to be on this roster because of what he does on special teams, too. Uh, he's a guy who is a holder. Uh, he rushes, punts. Uh, he he, he blo- blocks for kickoffs. Uh, he's a guy who goes down and makes tackles on, on punts. So, you know, he, he he's a core special teams player. Can he play quarterback in the NFL? That's what the Saints are trying to find out. And we still don't have a definitive answer there. You still have three more preseason games to go to find that answer. So it'll be nice to see what he does on Friday against Arizona. Then at the running back position, because you know, of course, Alvin Kamara is going to get the, the load of it when Mark Ingram is out. But there are some guys that I think are sticking out there a little bit just in the running back game. Boston Scott, Jonathan Williams. What are you seeing from that running back court, not only through the first preseason game, but even in training camp since you're out there watching? I think Jonathan Williams helped himself. Um, not on the practice field. Jonathan Williams on the practice field might might look just like a guy because the practice field a lot of times is more flash and dash, you know, who can make a quick cut and ooh and ah, and, you know, but they're not tackling. And Jonathan Williams had said, you know, a week and a half ago, you know, I'm ready to get the pads on and get to the contact because I think you'll see a truer me then. And I think we saw a truer him against Jacksonville. He's a guy who runs with some attitude. Um, he doesn't mind contact. He will, I believe he'll break some tackles. So that was pleasing to see. Boston Scott, I think, is a guy who, you know, I think could be valuable for this team because he's a, he's a pretty good receiver. Uh, he's a he's a guy who, despite his size, is willing to run between the tackles. They like him as a running back. He's going to have to help himself some, I think, on special teams. And I think he can help himself on special teams if he's a guy who can kind of take one of those return spots for you. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. But uh, certainly I, I think the guy who really has helped himself is Jonathan Williams. Once you put the pads on him, he, he looks like a different player. Speaking of special teams, did we learn anything from kickoff returns or punt returns in the first game? Not really. Um, I think Brandon Tate, because he's a veteran and he's done it before, you would think that he might – you know, nudge your head. And and basically, Coach Payton has said, look, Brandon Tate, if he makes this team, it's going to be on special teams. Uh, so that might be a spot that is specifically reserved for him as a returner, which is fairly rare in the NFL where you get a guy and say, okay, you're just going to be a returner. You know, we're not worried about you necessarily as a receiver, although Brandon Tate has shown some characteristics there. But you know, basically, if he makes this team, it's going to be as a returner. And him being a veteran, having done it before, for several years, I think that gives him the inside edge because Boston Scott never did it in a game at Louisiana Tech. Uh, and the other candidates, you know, whether it's Josh Huff or Natrell Jamerson, you know, those guys who are going to get some opportunities or Shane Vereen, uh, I think, you know, for for the for the most part, I think Brandon Tate has done it longer and maybe better than those guys. What about on the defensive side? I think there was a few guys that stood out um, on the defensive side from Thursday's game. Curious to hear your thoughts on maybe a player or two that really helped themselves out on Thursday against Jacksonville. Well, J. Ron Elliott had to help himself. He had two and a half sacks uh, in, in limited amount of time, so he had to help himself because you know he's a guy who can play special teams also. But if he can give you some reps on defense, like you know, what basically Coach Sean Payton said, look, this is a guy who might be able to give you when you add in the special teams and some rush-specific situations, he might be able to give you 20, 25 plays a game. So that becomes valuable to you. Uh, I think Devereaux Lawrence, who essentially redshirted last year, uh, was good to see him on the field. He came out of Auburn with a torn ACL, got to the Saints, found out he needed more surgery. So that tells you the faith that they have in him, that they brought him in anyway, gave him the surgery and still kept him. And he looks like 
uh, a guy who can can make some plays for him at defensive tackle. He had two sacks against Jacksonville. Those guys really stood out. Among and and seeing Alex Anzalone at the Mike linebacker, uh, calling the signals and and you know aligning his teammates. Uh, it's good to have versatility in anything that you do. But Alex Anzalone having that versatility at linebacker gives the Saints some options if. Uh, either A.J. Klein or Demario Davis or Manti Teo, if something were to happen to one of those, you know, any of those guys. And we know that Craig Robertson also can can, can take the, the helmet and make the alignment call. So, you know, it's just good to see Alex Anzalone show that, that versatility. We talked about it in our first Black and Blue report with me, you, and Sean about the rule changes and how that might affect at least what you're looking out for in the preseason, whether it's the new helmet rules, whether it's the new kickoff rule. Did any of those stick out to you as far as to play on Thursday, or was, was that really anything effective as far as that's concerned? You know, didn't have any helmet issues, uh, fortunately, for either team, but but the kickoff rule, you saw it in play because both teams were kicking it off short. They wanted right. to see what was going to happen in the return game and what was going to happen in the coverage game. And I think both of them got a decent taste or a decent feel for you know how much space there's going to be, how much more space there could be, and, and, and you know what you can do and can't do uh, in terms of blocking. So I think – both of them, you know, I don't know if it was a gentleman's agreement or what, but, you know, all the kickoffs were fairly short. None of them were out of the end zone. And I think uh, that you'll see that throughout the regular season. If it's not out of the end zone, I can't think of a, a good reason to not return a kick right now. And so they were basically both, you know, kicking, you know, to the goal line or one or two yards yeah. deep. And, you know, they wanted to see what they had in terms of coverage and what they had in terms of returns. And I think we'll see a lot of that. All right, as we approach Friday, since I won't talk to you before then, is there anything throughout the week that, one, you're going to look out through in practice, whether it's a certain player or just how, whether it's a defensive line or the offensive line, and then what can we look for on Friday as far as watching the game? Because, you know, I don't know how much people are going to play. You probably won't see Drew Brees a lot. So what can fans look out for when you're watching these preseason games, especially Friday against Arizona? Well, what you want to see more than anything, and I know it's a boring thing to say, but you want to see a team execute and play clean. The Saints had one penalty in the first half against Jacksonville. Those are the things that you want to see that they are able to execute and play clean. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Drew Brees play a couple of series because he didn't play in the preseason opener. Uh, he says usually you know, a couple of preseason games – he feels right for the regular season. Wouldn't surprise me to see Cam Jordan out there. I don't necessarily know if we'll see Alex Okafor yet, but you know, I think the Saints, quote unquote, starters for the most part will play some. But again, you know, you, you're looking to see which one of those guys behind those starters is going to stand out. Um, you know, is Jonathan Williams going to be able to maintain the momentum he has? You got to look at the backup quarterbacks because that thing is going to go, I think, all the way through to the end and somebody has to separate himself and I just don't see it having happened yet so that's something else you want to look at uh, defensively you want to see the Saints look that first team defense isn't happy with the way they played against Jacksonville and you want to see them be able to get off the field on third down you can't give up third and longs and you know I don't care if it's third and eight or if it's third and three uh, they got to be capable of getting off the field in certain situations but you know you just want to even if you're playing vanilla you know, what you're doing vanilla, you still want to execute it uh, the right way, and they just didn't do that against Jacksonville. So, you know, those are a couple of things I want to say. Maybe Andrews Pete, the left guard, gets a little bit of run in this game because he, he's been working back in and practice a little bit. So maybe he gets a little contact in this game. Maybe not as a starter. Maybe he goes out w with the second unit. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him get a little bit of play. And that receiver, you know, Traquan Smith continues to impress. 
and I, I, you know, I don't want to say we've seen enough, but we've seen enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, 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 he looks like the real deal. So, but I'm anxious to see him again, you know, to, you know, cause he's in a situation, he's a rookie and he's got to prove it every week. And if he's out there on the field uh, at the same time as a Michael Thomas and a Ted Ginn Jr., he'll get some opportunities because, you know, who you going to, who you going to match up against? You're going to match up against the knowns more so than the unknown. Should be interesting on Friday, that's for sure. I want to put your Pelicans hat on before I bring in Jamaican Hoffer. Talk about the NBA schedule release, which came out on Friday. I know every team plays 82 games, and we like to dissect, you know, the strength of schedule or whatever. I don't really worry about the strength of schedule, but is there anything out there that stuck out to you as far as the schedule goes, whether it's the home-and-home back-to-backs? There's four of those this year, which I think is more than we've ever had. The nationally televised games or even – for me, that daunting road trip at the beginning of the season just takes you to five Western Conference contenders. Is there anything that sticks out to you, J.D.? Well, all of those things stick out. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, now I, I'm, you know, the, that, that road trip, you know, it's hard to win in the NBA on the road. And I know people, you know, people think it's, it's not as hard as it is. It's hard to win at Sacramento sometimes, man. It's hard yeah. to win at Orlando. It, it's just not a given in, the, in this league because, you know, you got a lot of talented teams. So, you know, that stands out, you know, the fact that the Saints have the, the Saints, the Pelicans mm-hmm. have the 13 nationally televised games, I think is fantastic because that shows uh, the respect and appreciation of Anthony Davis as much as anything, and the team that won a playoff series uh, in a sweep and and played played Golden State, won a game in that in that series and had two games that were extremely winnable. Uh, I think it shows something. So hopefully they'll continue that growth because. You don't want to get into a situation where you get good enough to go on national TV and then you don't play well. Uh, so I think you know it shows some respect. Uh, and look, with Anthony Davis now probably playing, if not full time center, then what eighty five percent maybe or so at center. You know, we're talking about a first team All NBA player who was a top three MVP candidate. And when Boogie Cousins went down with that ruptured Achilles, AD blew up. I mean, he was already really good, but he really blew up even more so. Uh, so it, it'll be, you know, interesting to see how he attacks the season from the outset and he, whether he can maintain it throughout. He's been able to do so, uh, but I'd like to see, you know, to be honest with you, I think Anthony Davis is fully capable of a 30, 15, and two-and-a-half kind of season, 30 points, 15 rebounds, two-and-a-half block kind of season uh, average uh, so it wouldn't it wouldn't shot, shoot. He was close to that last year. So I think you know that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility with him. And 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 the Pelicans have a good chance, I think, of starting out kind of quick. I mean, you go on the road to Houston, but then you got home games against Sacramento, Clippers, and Brooklyn. Your next three games, I'd be a little bit disappointed if they weren't three and one after that point. And then Utah on the back to back after that. But look. Yeah, hey, if you're going to be a good team, you're going to have to beat you teams yeah. like Utah. So I, I, I'll be interested to see how they start. And this team has not started well, probably yeah. since I've and, been yeah, here. And so. they've been, yeah, they've been digging out of holes, it seems like, perpetually, forever. Yeah. It seems like they've been digging out of holes. So it would be nice to see them get off to a 3-1, and 4-1 start and have a little something in the bank to work with. And you mentioned Boogie. Of course, the schedule makers <laughs> were so quick to give the the Pelicans the Warriors early on in the season. Now, as far as a home game concerned, game number 82, maybe they're waiting for make sure Boogie's healthy and ready to go. But game number 82 can be really interesting based on one playoff implications. 
uh, and two, just Boogie's return to the Big Easy. Well, the schedule makers know what they're doing. They yeah. When they pick out stuff like that, they know exactly what they're doing because, like as you mentioned, this team's been starting with Golden State, it seems, the last two, three seasons right at the beginning, and they get them at home at the end. So they, they know exactly what they're doing. But, yeah, usually playoff implications right there at the end, and we hope, we're hoping that the Pels are, are jockeying. Well, you know what? I shouldn't say jockeying. I hope they're locked in at a home playoff series spot by then. And then that game is just gravy. Uh, you don't want to be playing for your for your playoff lives against Golden State in the last game of the season because they might be a team that they might need that game too. And uh, we've seen what can happen when Golden State plays a little with a little bit of desperation. Should be interesting. Nice to talk a little bit of basketball right now. We still have a, a few more months or a couple more months till we get there. But JD, you know as well as I do, they'll be here before you know it, my friend. Man, the basketball season did not it it ran through the summer, didn't it? Yep. I mean, every time you turn around, there was some different news. So. So, it, you know, they figured out how to stretch that baby out and uh, and keep it interesting for fans throughout the summer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm really, really excited about this Pelican season, man. I, I You know, I, I know they lost Boogie, but, you know, to have Nico Miritich for an entire season to work with Anthony Davis and to add in Julius Randle, uh, I know Raj, Rajon Rondo is a huge loss to me, just humongous. But you get a chance to see if Alfred Payton is mature enough and good enough to handle that role. Uh, we're going to find out a lot about Alfred Payton because he's going to be given a lot of rope to work with. Uh, I know that Drew Holiday can play some points for you, can play a lot of points for you. But, you know, the reason you get Alfred Payton is to handle that point because Drew Holiday was so fabulous at the off guard last season. So, you know, Alfred Payton is going to need to have a really good season for the Pelicans, and it'll be interesting to see whether the local kid is up to the challenge. Yeah, I know everyone talks about, well, you got rid of Cousins and Rondo and brought in Randall and Peyton, but I think the way those two guys play and their style, they fit really well in this system. So I think that's what intrigues me the most about this team as far as you have two guys that can fit exactly how you want to play with Randall being able to play so fast. So it should yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. J.D., I appreciate it. Let's do it again next week. We'll recap Cardinals and Saints and uh, whatever else we, we come up with. I well, appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, hopefully it'll be another Saints uh, win, even though it's preseason. But, hey, if they're keeping score, you want to win, and I don't care what anybody says. And I know when the Saints don't win it, we're saying, ah, well, it's not it. Yeah, you do. You, if they're keeping score, right. players want to win. Exactly. <laughs> so let's hope they win another one. Sounds good. Thanks, my friend. Anytime. And joining me now to talk about the Pelicans' schedule is no one other than Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. It's his first uh, appearance on this season's show, as there'll be plenty of time for Jim and I to discuss Pelican stuff throughout the season. But, Jim, it's also nice to talk about Pelicans on August 13th, um, especially with the schedule coming out on Friday. Very exciting time. Yeah, it really is. Uh, this is one of the uh, highlights of this part of the offseason. I feel like August realistically is one of the quietest, maybe the quietest month of the entire year for us in the NBA, but it's always nice to get the uh, the finalized schedule and find out what your itinerary is going to be for a six-month period. Yeah, for us that travel a little bit and you travel for everything, your your life for the six, next six months, maybe even seven, who knows, mm. uh, has been handed out to you. So let's talk about some of those things. And before we get into the, the whole schedule in general, because again, each team plays 82 games, so I try not to dissect it too much as far as who the Pelicans play. Obviously, there is a little bit more of a strength of schedule based on you play certain teams in the Western Conference four times and certain teams three times, which means sometimes you play a team like, for Golden, instance, Golden State, Pelicans play twice on the road and only once at home. Other teams you play twice at home and only once on the road. So, But let's get into opening night, which I thought very intriguing for the Pelicans at Houston 
ESPN game, October 17th to open. Uh, of course, Chris Paul, James Harden, and now Carmelo Anthony with the Houston Rockets and the team that finished number one in the West last season. Yeah, it's a pretty um, interesting way to start the season. Something a game that people, a lot of eyeballs will be on um, with Carmelo Anthony making his Rockets debut that game. Um, Pelicans, uh, I mean, it's a very daunting challenge definitely for the opening game. I think one of the things I look at immediately when the schedule, probably the first thing I look at when the schedule comes out is how do the first two or three weeks of the season look. Obviously, that's a pretty tough way to start the season that you're playing on the road against a team that won the most games in the league in the regular season last year. But uh, fortunately, right after that, you have four home games in a row. So I think looking back at the last few years for the Pelicans, as we know, we've talked about a million times how often they've dug themselves a hole at the beginning of the season. So you're starting off with a tough game at Houston, but hopefully you, you can get a win. If you can get a win there, you could get off to a really good start this year, which is something we haven't seen much of the last few years. Yeah, and like you said, four home games after that, which is a good chance for the Pelicans to get off to a good start because that's something that I talked to J.D. about just a few moments ago of how tough it's been for the Pelicans to get off to a good start. Sometimes they've gotten off to like two and two starts or three and three, but never like a three and one, four and one, which you could have an opportunity to if you take care of business at home. So that's a nice chance as well. And, and what we really want to never see again around here is going back not that far. They had a, a two and ten start and a one eleven start. Yeah. Last year was six and six through twelve games, and then even through forty games, you were still exactly at five hundred. So I think one thing that I look at, I think about a lot going back to last season was they had to get on such a roll in the last few months of the season to be able to secure getting into the playoffs. When I look at this season, what I hope happens is that you're not in that situation that you can get off to a le- little bit, be- a lot better start, and maybe have a little bit of a cushion. And so, of course, you want to be on fire at the right time, like the way the Pelicans were in March and April of last year. But you don't want it to be necessity that hopefully, you know, if they don't go 20 and eight or whatever in the last 28 games, that they'll still be in really good position and even get even a higher seed than the 60 that they got last year and speaking of good starts it might be a little bit of a challenge just based on that first real road trip you know they play houston this open up the season but a nine day five game road trip after that long homestand that takes you against five teams that are definitely going to compete for a playoff spot in denver golden state portland san antonio and okc jim so right off the bat you're going to get a little bit of a taste of where the pelicans stand in the western conference just based on that road trip alone yeah i mentioned last week is there a team in the NBA that has a tougher five-game road trip on paper than that one? There's no way. Uh, yeah, I would think there wouldn't be. And if they are, they're in the Western Conference. Right. There might be There might be a six-game trip somewhere that um, a team has like four teams that are as good maybe as the, as, as the five that the Pelicans have. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like you could lay out a trip that would be more difficult um, than that group of opponents, even though, I mean, there's so many good teams in the West – and the Pelicans actually have a trip in January of five games that um, has a lot of teams that are going to be really tough. But, um, but yeah, that stretch is, is really difficult, and it, it's kind of symbolic, I think, of just how brutal the West is this year. I've already noticed you've probably seen some of the playoff super early playoff predictions that people have had where some of them even don't even have the Pelicans in the top eight. I'm sure a lot of fans out there that yeah. have seen these are not happy with that. And even specifically the fact that on some of them you see Portland in there. I think that's the one that people have a beef with is like predicting Portland to make the playoffs and the Pelicans not based on what happened in the playoff series last year. I'd be lying if I didn't have a little bit of an yeah. issue that, with that myself. But it's it's funny like how many really good teams you see that are picked out of the top eight in the West because there's 10 or 11 teams 
that are probably going to be really good. And I think once you get past Sacramento, which isn't, and maybe Phoenix, every team in the West probably, the other 12, 13 teams are all looking at this season as if we don't make the playoffs, it's a disappointment. So you're going to have a lot of unhappy people at the end of this year. Let me ask you this. I know we're kind of steering away from the schedule just for a second, but when you look at the projections and stuff about where the Pelicans might be in this is just my opinion, not necessarily saying this is true, but when I think outsiders and national writers are looking at the Pelicans team, I think as far as their projections for this year, they ultimately just see you lost Boogie, you lost Rondo, and you traded them in for Julius Randle and Alfred Payton, and I guess Jaleel Okafor on a, a smaller contract, but that's another topic. Um, so I feel like I think people just look at that, for instance, and go, well, Cousins and Rondo are bigger losses than the games you get in Randall and Payton, but to, to you know, kind of play, not devil's advocate, but to re- respond to that, I think these two guys fit this system really well, and it's all obviously too early to tell, but I feel like that's one of the reasons why maybe teams are, or people are not really looking at the Pelicans as a huge contender, because they think, oh, you lost, you know, a veteran in Rajon Rondo, you lost an all-star in DeMarcus Cousins, and you gained back a young Julius Randall and Alfred Payton, who, uh, I think people expect a little bit more out of them in the last few seasons. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, and I think it's a really tough decision because, like I said, you have so many teams that look like they should be in the playoffs next year, but you only have eight yeah. spots. So I definitely think that's part of it. But a lot of it, too, is just a people – it's a cursory look at, like you you referenced. You just look at it on paper and say, okay, they lost this guy, they lost that guy, so therefore – especially when you're in a situation where you have to pick somebody to not make the playoffs. Everyone is assuming that the Lakers are going to make it. I would say yeah. I haven't seen anyone necessarily. I don't think that's picked them to not be in the playoffs. Right. So if you put them in and you put say Denver in, like a lot of people are, that means that you have to pick two teams that made right. it last year that won't make it now. So, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, um, people like us, and I'm sure a lot of the fans of this team who watched the last two or three weeks of, or two or three months, excuse me, of last season, and saw the way that Anthony Davis dominated and the way Drew Holiday played and just took over, in especially in the Portland series, I think people like us are looking at it like, if you see that team again and you see those two guys play like that, there's no way this team isn't going to make the playoffs. So, yeah. that, you know, that's I think that's just a different perspective that people have. And what do you learn about preseason projections anyways is they don't mean diddly, in my right. opinion, just because injuries happen, certain situations happen, trades happen. You don't know which team you're going to get. And right. I don't think people even saw if no one, I don't think would have said, "Oh yeah, the Pelicans are going to make it to the second round of the NBA playoffs after sweeping the three seed or whatever." Yeah. Or even having, even when having yep. a full season of boogie, not everyone had the Pelicans even making the playoffs, even with it, the addition of that's him. a really good point. If if you look back at it, and I'm sure we talked about this last September or October that there were a decent amount of playoff predictions that had the Pelicans not even getting in, and really by to me by the end of the season you were the third or fourth best team in the West. So you went from getting projected to finish maybe ninth or 10th in the West to being maybe the third or fourth best team by the end of the regular season. Glad I brought in a Jim Mora diddly poo reference. I didn't do the poo, <laughs> but I feel like I just need to bring that up. Let's go back to the schedule a little bit. Back to backs have obviously been on the mind of NBA schedule makers and the league as far as getting teams an opportunity to rest a little bit more. The average back to backs for a team this season is 13. That's exactly what the Pelicans have. This season, and what struck me, Jim, is the back-to-backs at home. There are four of them, which is way more than we've ever had. Usually it's one, One maybe maybe. two, Yeah, but four, it's nice for us that don't have to travel. Um, You stay home, and even for the players, but four home back-to-backs I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and I think 
part of it could be, you know, everyone knows that teams have input in to what they get for the schedule. They have different things that they tell the league, like we want this, we don't want that. Um, I think the two home home back to backs last year were great in terms of fan support. Um, there was one in December that was Dallas, New York. Unfortunately, on the court, it wasn't a great result because nope. they lost both games. But um, then there was one in March where they played Houston and Boston, and both of those games were sold out, 18,000-something fans for both of those nights. Um, so I, I think it's a good step forward to, to you know try out having a few more of those games, a, a few more of those home-home uh, back-to-backs. The one thing that I, I think impact of that that you can't really see from just looking at it, the, the schedule on paper is it, it gives you more – it also gives you more off days in, over the course of the rest of the season. So um, if you're going to have back-to-backs, you might as well have – if you're going to have 13 of them the way they do, if you're going to have – you're going to have those anyways. If you can sprinkle in some where you don't have to travel at all, I think that's great because having only nine back-to-backs where travel is involved I think is a, is a really nice plus, and I give the league credit for the improvements that they've made in the schedule over the last – Couple of years. I remember back not that long ago, there were twenty back to backs yeah. that every almost every team had, and the Pelicans might have had twenty twenty one. And of those twenty or twenty one back to backs, not one of them was a home home. So you're talking you went from a few years ago twenty back to backs that involved travel to nine this season. That's that's really good. It's really nice. That's for sure. And speaking of thirteen, that's thirteen nationally televised games for the Pelicans between ESPN and TNT. That's not even counting NBA TV, which hasn't been released yet. And Jim, as you mentioned last week, that ties a franchise record for most national, most national appearances. So after the season the Pelicans had last year, it is nice to see that most of the country wanted to see the Pelicans and, more importantly, Anthony Davis play on a national level. Yeah, that was probably the most positive aspect to me that stood out about the schedule immediately. Um, I was expecting it to go up from last year. It was eight last year, but I wasn't sure if it would go up a ton because – you know, you you don't have DeMarcus Cousins, who's a household name, a guy that's been in the All-Star game uh, the last four years. Um, so to get up to 13, I thought was really nice. And um, the, it, it's funny, just ran, a random note, it's been exactly 13 three times. I don't know what we need to do to get it up to 14, but not, not that I'm complaining because I think 13 is a really good number for a team that won 48 games and made the second round of the playoffs. So, but that was really good, and it's going to ensure once again, just like last year, that every game will be on TV, whether it's locally or nationally, because Fox Sports New Orleans' contract is for 75 games. So if once you get up to seven or eight national TV, you can pretty much lock in that you're going to be able to watch every game on TV. Yeah, there's three games on that one five-game road trip you mentioned in January. That three, three straight games and nationally televised games at Golden State at Portland and then MLK Day at memphis let's talk about the uh let's go to the end of the season april 9th uh it's been tradition the last few years that the pelicans play golden state in the first two or three Mm. games this year they did the opposite you do play them in game number seven this season on the road but then game number 82 home finale season finale or regular season finale i should say against golden state warriors and the return of demarcus cousins i think the the schedule makers had a strategy when doing this and i was telling jd about that is Boogie's going to be healthy by that time. I think it's going to be interesting to see him come back here and play. And just obviously the history, I mean, there's, I think they're starting to become a little bit of history between these two teams sure. just in the last few years. But mm-hmm. that game is definitely circled on my calendar. Yeah, it is interesting to think that they literally did ex- as much as they possibly could to make sure that he'll be on the court by making it the very last game of the entire season. So that was, I thought that was interesting. The one thing, though, that I think um, – 
if we, if you go back and look at it, I'm not not trying to downplay that game, but more often than not, the 82nd game of the season doesn't mean anything like standings wise or playoff seating wise. So I feel like the the only potential risk from that being so late is that it could be an inconsequential game and it could be the kind of thing where n- neither team are playing their main guys. I mean, we don't know. It could also be I mean, a- if it was the Pelicans, those last five games that the Pelicans won, I mean, those affected the right. standings a lot for them. Sure. It, most likely for Golden State, it probably won't. But. Sure, sure. I mean, last year it was definitely the case where the yeah. very every single game at the end of the season for the Pelicans was huge. But I guess part of what I'm saying is, like, if you look over the course of years, years and years, there's been more often than not, even when New Orleans was a playoff team going back to the beginning part of this decade or the 2008, 2009, that, that stretch, most of the time the last game of the season doesn't factor mm-hmm. into – the playoff race, but um, regardless, I think no matter what the situation is, that game is going to sell out immediately, and I'm sure there won't be hardly any tickets, even though you're looking way down the road if you're looking at going to a game in April, but nonetheless, I feel like everybody's going to be on board to wanting to go to that game. Should be fun to watch as far as the schedule is concerned. Um, Let's talk about, since me and you really haven't chatted since the free agency hit has basically come and gone, besides a few players, you had Carmelo Anthony signed with the Rockets officially now, but Let's talk about the Pelicans and their signs. We mentioned Julius Randle. We mentioned Alfred Payne. You've written stories on both of those guys. Now the announcement of Jalil Okafor. You've re-signed Ian Clark. Um, what, what are your thoughts so far, or what are your thoughts on the Pelicans' free agent free agency and the additions that they've made? I think, from a from a optimistic standpoint, from a from something that people can get excited about perspective, I like the fact that both of those guys are still early in their career. They have enough experience that they've shown what they can do in the league, but they're also have, you know, potential that's untapped. And I think with really the first, the, the, all three of the guys that were added, the one thing that I'm looking forward to, especially with Alfred, but also with the other, with uh, Randall and Jaleel Okafor is seeing what they can do on a better team because they've really been on bad teams through their whole career. Sometimes it's, it, you know, people, people often say about a player that puts up big numbers on a bad team, like maybe he's overrated because, you know, somebody has to put up numbers. But to me, I look at it also from the other standpoint of Alfred Payton, for example, has never played with anyone close to as good as Anthony Davis or Drew, even Drew Holiday. Um, same thing with Julius Randle. Like, what what can these guys do on a team where they're, instead of being the first and second guy that the other team are, are looking at to take out of the game in their scouting report that you have to, they have to focus on Anthony Davis. They them up a little bit. Right. And so that's really what I want to see with, with those guys is I'm really excited to see, you know, what the impact of playing with better players will be and playing on a team that is, is so much more competitive than what um, Orlando was for throughout Peyton's career there. And then the Lakers really last year was the first year of Julius Randle's tenure there where they were even, you know, relatively competitive. I think they won 35 games, so they still weren't good. But um, I, I would imagine that all, all of those guys that were added are going to be really excited from day one of training camp to be on a team that has so much higher expectations and, and goals and, and knows that they have a chance to win right off the bat. Yeah, so uh, I do like the pieces. I think they fit really well as far as Randall, the type of guy that can fly up and down the court. Now you just have a ton of bigs that are, you know, can go up and down with Randall and Miritich and Davis. And you just think of that, most likely 
at least two of those three guys are going to be at the court at once, no matter what, throughout the game. And sometimes, I don't know if they get creative and put all three of them on there, but for the most part, you're going to have at least two of them, which I think gives the Pelicans a huge advantage as far as the, the type of tempo that they want to run throughout the game. Yeah, that's another thing issue with the team overall that you could look at and say has been could be a real big improvement. By the end of the playoffs last year against Golden State, you were down to maybe seven or eight guys in your rotation. I feel like if you look at the front court depth right now on paper, it's really good. Like As you just mentioned, there's a ton of different options that you have. You can play around with a bunch of different lineups. You can go big. You can go small. You're really athletic. You're really long with a lot of the guys that you have. So um, that's something that they that the coaches have to be excited about in, in saying, okay, what are some of the different wrinkles that we can bring to the court that we probably couldn't do last year? And like I said, um, when it comes down to it, you, you you have to be in a situation where you have you have to be able to rely on more guys than what they did at the very end of the uh, the postseason last year. All right, before uh, we get out of here, uh, I hate ending like this, but I think we do need to address, um, unfortunately, the passing of Lane Murdoch Sr., the Pelicans team photographer for the longest time, also part of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, the news that kind of came unexpected to uh, both Jim and I and the and rest of the organization, everyone that knew Lane, but Jim, just so heartbreaking over the weekend to think about just the loss of Lane, who is someone that we both know very well, and how not only a great photographer he was, but an unbelievable human being that he was. Yeah, he really was. I mean, that that's the thing to me that I thought about the most this weekend after I heard about that he had passed, is just the number of people that he impacted here. I guess you don't really you don't necessarily realize it until you hear some of the stories from people and you see people posting about him on social media, Facebook or whatever. And you realize how many people had the same experience with him as you. Mm -hmm. It's not something maybe that you've sat around and talked about with anybody over the last bunch of years that I worked with him. You never really, I never sat down with anybody was like, you know, you know, how cool was it that Lane did this or whatever. But it's, that's one thing like just to hear all of the different ways that he impacted people has been really, um, interesting to me and, and really something that I take away a lot from as far as just how big of a, of a impact he had as a person. And, um, for me, one of the things I mentioned yesterday on Twitter was just how welcoming he was to me. I came in from, you know, working at a newspaper in upstate New York where I'm from to everything was brand new in the NBA. I had a little bit of like freelance basketball experience, but from a day-to-day -day perspective. It, and he was one of the people that was just open arms. Like I felt like he, and a lot of people have mentioned this in the last 24 hours, that you felt like you were friends with him right away. Like, it, you know how some people are kind of cold and they t like probably the way I am to people, <laughs> but because of my New York background, I don't know. You're so heartless. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's one of those people that within the first couple of days you, you met him, you felt like you had known him for a long time and he was your, you know, a good friend. So so we're really we're really gonna miss that guy, and um, the other part about him too. I, I saw somebody I can't remember if this was another photographer that mentioned this. I thought this was a really good comment too about Lane. Someone mentioned that in this industry, there's a lot of people that have huge egos, and some people act like they, you're you're like um, they're like doing you a favor mm -hmm. by allowing you to be around them. And Lane was so much the opposite yeah. of that. He was such a down to earth guy that was so. Um, just such a good person and he was a people person he loved talking to everybody and so i think that's the, one of the things that i'm gonna miss the most about him and the one thing that i'll say that we talked about right before we started this about lane is 
you know, he worked so much during the season between his Thunder responsibilities and the Pelicans' responsibilities that, I mean, there were so many times that he's just always traveling back and forth. But every time I saw him in that media room, always had a smile on his face. He would always talk to you no matter how tired he was, no matter the mood. You never saw a bad mood out of Lane. He was always interested and engaging and friendly and comforting. And, you know, his son, Lane Jr., who works here as well, who just had a baby, was talking to me about, you know, the fact that I just had one two weeks ago, sharing stories and now saying, oh, you're going to be great. Just all those things you remember about him, just his attitude, because there's so many times you can complain and moan about your job. But for a guy that traveled so much, you didn't see one frown on his face. Not one time you were like, man, Lane's in a bad mood. He never was like that. I think that's one of the, the great things about Lane that we're definitely going to miss. No, that's a great point because, you know, you get so you're, – you're so busy yourself that you get so caught up sometimes in not realizing, like, how busy other people are. So I agree with that totally. Whenever I saw him, a lot of times we'd see him after we hadn't seen him for a few days or a week or whatever, if he, we were on the road or he was in OKC or whatever. But every, every time I saw him, he would always say, hey, Jim, in his, yeah. his, <laughs> his, his great, like, Texas – I think it was like I think it was mostly a Texas accent yeah. from him growing up there, but um, but we love the guy and he was always like you said, he always was happy to see you. How he's happy to talk to you, even though I'm sure there were times when he was, you know, extremely tired. I remember talking to him a couple times where he said there were there was a week where it might have been this season, the season before, where he had a Monday, Wednesday, Friday home game in New Orleans and a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday in OKC, and he went to every single game. So I can't imagine. Yeah. But I think part of that, too, just speaks to how much he loved it. He, he just loved the job, and he loved doing what he did. And so I think that part of it is something that both of us can relate to as well, is just how much he enjoyed doing it. The world truly lost a great man. And, again, our thoughts and prayers are with the Murdoch family and those affected by this. And, of course, we love Lane. We'll miss him. Um, but it was nice to talk about some great stories about him. He's certainly an unbelievable person. And, uh, Jim, I appreciate you able to come on. I know – Usually right now we're in Saints mode, but it's nice to talk Pelicans here as we're, you know, less than two months away from training camp and first preseason game on the 30th. We're here, my friend. As soon as the schedule <laughs> comes out, we're here. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't want to speak for you. I'm not quite there mentally yet as far as oh, being ready for ready for the season, but it. I think by Labor Day almost every year I'm, I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's get this thing started. Um, we're excited. And I, I think it might even be a little earlier than Labor Day this year just yep. beca- that I get to that point just because – based on the year that they had last year where everything was so great in the last couple months of the season. And then as we talked about in the spring, what happened in that Portland series is, is up there with one of the most memorable moments that I think the team's had yeah. in the entire time I've been here. And I'm sure for you as well. Yeah. I'm trying to learn how to be a dad first. Once I get that down, <laughs> I'll worry about this. Oh, you got this. Bit. You got this. No problem. We'll see how that goes, but I appreciate it. Jim will join me a lot during the season on Mondays. That's the show. I haven't been here the last couple of weeks due to the birth of my daughter, but every Monday it will be me. I apologize in advance for that, but we'll have roundtable discussions. We'll do plenty of Saints recaps as during the regular season, the games we played on Sunday, obviously, so John DeShazer and then some rotating media from national and local um, newspapers, websites, stuff like that will join me. And then during the season, I'm sure there'll be some fireside chats between Jim and I on the road, whether it's on video form or audio, but uh, stay tuned for all that. As every Monday, I'll bring you the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Really appreciate you coming on, Jim, and thanks to John DeShazer as well. Sean Kelly will have it for you on Wednesday. Until next Monday for me, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a great rest of the week.